Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. She put her hands over Ruby's mouth and nose to stop her breathing, uh, and that's what happened. She went to the Blenheim police station and said to the police, I've just killed my daughter and I feel like a robot. Hi, I'm Jesse Mulligan, and this is Crimes NZ, a podcast where I talk with people connected in some way or another with New Zealand's most notorious crimes. In this episode, I'm talking to Barrister Simon Shammy about the killing of Ruby Knox, a death that was tragic in more ways than one. Simon defended Ruby's mother, Danella, who admitted to the murder. Ruby was uh, severely disabled her whole life. She had a lifelong history of multiple complex medical and psychological problems. Um, and despite a lot of investigation and assessment, um, a clear diagnosis for her was never established. She had all sorts of things going on. Can you run through some of them? So she had all sorts of uh, mental health issues. She was had severe autism disorder where she had no speech. She couldn't communicate in any way. She had uh, chronic behaviour difficulties, including aggression and self-harm. She'd bang her head against windows and doors and smash them uh, and injure herself. She had uh, huge amounts of physical problems. She had spina bifida and chronic bowel problems. So the list just really went on. Yes, here is Justice Joe Williams, who presided over the case, describing Ruby's behaviour. From two, Ruby exhibited what was called complex behaviour disturbance, characterised by increased physical activity. She would pull hair, headbutt and scratch other children. She would attack animals. And here uh, on her health conditions. Spinal bifida, complications relating to spinal rod surgery undertaken when she was 13, gastroesophageal reflux, seasonal asthma and rhinitis, a history of anal fissures related to her chronic constipation. Yes, so very, very tough for this young woman. And did she have, Simon, any way of communicating that she was in pain or what was going on in her body? Well, I think because she didn't have speech, it made it very difficult. Um, but obviously her mother, Danella, knew her very, very well. Um, cared for her 24-7, basically, for 20 years. In fact, they shared a room uh, for most of that time. So Danella had a pretty good idea as to when Ruby was in pain. That audio we just heard, by the way, was courtesy of the New Zealand Herald. Now, you heard from Ruby and Danella's doctor in court, and what did he say about her condition? Well, it was um, quite interesting because the doctor who we heard from had seen uh, Ruby and Danella on about 150 occasions, right. and uh, to use his words, he got to know 
the chronic and exhausting issues that Danella faced. Um, Ruby was always large and strong. Um, she'd attack her mother, um, biting and pulling hair. But uh, Danella just, just put up with it. It, it had a huge effect, uh, obviously, uh, on the doctor. He was very upset and when he saw what had happened. Ruby didn't go to school because she couldn't communicate. She didn't have any friends because she didn't have an ability to empathise. Presumably she couldn't have pets either, Simon. No. Um, I mean, she was entirely innocent, obviously, but, but she would um, kill pets, uh, literally. So, um, you know, th- th- it was a very unusual and a very difficult situation for a mother. I mean, a mother couldn't have a partner because... Um, uh, Ruby would just uh, require so much, such a high level uh, of intense supervision. How did Danella manage those sort of physical aspects of looking after what was a pretty big and strong young woman? Yeah, and I think it was something I, I know that Danella had to get, say, safety glass put in the windows because Ruby c- could break them and hurt herself. I remember Danella telling me that, you know, if she was in the shower, Ruby would go and get a knife out of the drawer and start cutting herself. Man, oh man. Um, so it was, it was very, very difficult because I remember quite clearly um, uh, reading the, the assessments that Danella was having panic attacks and anxiety because, uh, you know, Ruby would wake up and what was going to happen today? Did she have any help looking after Ruby? Yeah, she did. Um, she had uh, carers uh, through, I think, the health board. But the difficulty was that carers found it extremely difficult to care for or supervise Ruby for any length of time. And, of course, the money that carers are paid uh, doesn't work out at a great deal per hour. So uh, it was very hard to have steady carers. They kept coming and going. And she looked after this girl for 21 years. What was going on in the weeks leading up to Ruby's death? Well, uh, there were a number of things. Um, Primarily what I recall is that the rod that was in Ruby's back uh, had apparently shifted slightly and uh, Danella was very concerned that this was causing Ruby a lot of pain and she took her to the doctor a few times uh, or to the hospital but they didn't really think that was what was happening. And really, uh, it got to the stage, I think, for Danella that, that this girl was in chronic pain, really bad pain, that her mother could understand but couldn't be communicated to clinicians. Um, and I think that's probably the straw that, that broke the camel's back. All right, the doctors told her there wasn't much more they could do for Ruby despite her being in a, an extremely desperate state. Yeah, I think uh, she got a letter from the health board uh, on the day that uh, Ruby died, just saying basically that they didn't think they could do anything about it. And she effectively felt like she'd hit a brick wall. And um, I think that's what really, uh, what happened. So what happened on the day of Ruby's death? So uh, on Ruby's death, what happened is that uh, Danella gave her some sleeping uh, tablets more than normal because, of course, um, you know, the treatment was always to try and sedate Ruby a bit, which Danella didn't like. Uh, That's one of the reasons she didn't want to put her in an institution. And so anyway, on the day uh, in question, Danella gave Ruby some uh, sedatives 
And then when she was sedated, she put a she put her hands over Ruby's mouth and nose to stop her breathing, uh, and that's what happened. And then within an hour, she went to the Blenheim police station and said to the police, "I've just killed my daughter, and I feel like a robot." And that was what her first words were. Boy, oh boy. Okay, and um, it's hard. It's hard not to have some sympathy with her. I think that's is that fair to say? Not well, not, with, th- not with the action she took, but no, the no, des- and, the, and the law, the law um, places the highest value on a human life, and that's why ninety nine percent of sentences for murder are life imprisonment with at least ten years non parole. And it's only when a very high test uh, is met that uh, someone gets uh, other than life imprisonment. And it has to be truly exceptional, both in terms of the offence and the offender. And um, one of the very few cases in this country was Danella Knox. So what happened legally at that point? So what happened uh, was that we had what was called a a sentence indication hearing um, in front of Justice uh, Williams, and we provided an awful lot of uh, evidence to his honour in terms of psychiatric assessments of Danella, as well as a lot of information about how things had been with Ruby. And uh, his honour reached the view that a sentence of four years imprisonment would be an appropriate sentence, that it, that it would be manifestly unjust and unfair in the circumstances of this case to uh, impose life imprisonment uh, on Danella. As her lawyer, were you um, satisfied with that? Yes, yes, I was. What were you arguing for? Well, uh, I think I always argue a little bit lower, Jesse. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, um, this woman had had a 20-year sentence and that she was undergoing such problems mentally at the time that, you know, she, she took her own daughter's life, uh, that the punishment... Uh, was more than anything a court was going to impose. So what year was that? 2016. Okay. Is she out now? Yes. So when you um, are sentenced to a finite sentence of imprisonment you're, uh, and it's over 12 months, you can apply for parole after a third. And uh, I think she did about coming up for two-thirds uh, of her sentence and the parole board uh, released her on the basis that she was no danger to the public. Uh, she had done a lot of uh, rehabilitation in, in prison in terms of after having 20 years of the sort of chronic stress uh, and responsibility uh, that the board thought she it was okay to let her, let her out on parole. Have you stayed in touch with her? Uh, not not really. Uh, sometimes she'll contact me with questions about things, but, but by and large, I think uh, Danella just wants to move on with her life. Uh, she's incredibly traumatised by, by everything, by both Ruby's life and her death, and uh, I think she just wants to quietly go away and uh, have a quiet life and, uh, and uh, forget about it as much as possible. Yeah. What was the public reaction, by the way, when she was sentenced to to just four years? Well, it was interesting um, because uh, it was anticipated by everybody involved that there would be 
quite a public reaction because, of course, one of the major problems, or not problems, but, but issues with giving someone four-year sentence for murder is that it implicitly says, says that someone's life was only worth four years. Um, and there were protests, and, and it was interesting because one of the points that uh, the Crown Prosecutor made to the judge at the time was, look, there'll be a lot of criticism if, uh, if Your Honour doesn't, uh, you know, if it gives her a four-year sentence. And the judge said, well, you know, he was just going to have to do the right thing, and he wasn't scared of criticism. But uh, it isn't about the value of a life. It's, a, it's, it's about trying to assess the blameworthiness or culpability uh, of Donella, and uh, that was what his honour thought was the correct sentence in view of her blameworthiness. And so I suppose uh, useful to look at what we might learn or change from this case. The case led to a call for, for sweeping changes. Yes, uh, and and I think there was a review, which I don't know a great deal about, but from what I understand, none of the individual clinicians or, or health workers were blamed, which is only fair. Uh, I think there were recommendations uh, for a review of the systems in place. And I think it was a little bit of a perfect storm because, of course, this occurred in a small provincial town. Uh, there's a high turnover of clinicians. It's very hard to get uh, specialists. And I know that uh, Danella travelled the country trying to get someone to try and diagnose some of the very complex issues that, that Ruby faced. Here's the Auckland paediatrician, Dr Rosemary Marks. I think everything was done that could be done in the context of the current situation in New Zealand. So they, the um, nursing staff to whom the first call was made called uh, Donella and she indicated that she'd been feeling really stressed at the time and she'd had a bit of a blow-up and reassured them that she, was, she had no intention of harming Ruby. Um, at the second uh, time, uh, Ruby was actually admitted to Wairau Hospital and she, um, she was in for a few days and there was a number of discussions and the staff asked um, Donella to stay with Ruby in hospital and Donella decided to take her home and it was shortly, fairly shortly after that uh, that the the event happened. Uh, that's Dr Rosemary Marks. And here she is again talking to then-host of Modern Report, Guy Nespina. I think it's really important that there is a, a balanced investigation. The police could have been called and weren't. And I know that there have been discussions locally about when staff should call the police. Well, that's really important, and sorry to stop you there, but who, who could have and when, at what point, who should have po possibly called the police? I think the, the Section 195A, I think it is, of the Crimes Act, says that if you are concerned about a person, then um, you should take reasonable steps. Mm. Now, I think they did take reasonable steps, and I think health professionals throughout the country would agree. But the police weren't called. Up. But the police were not e called. Even after the 15th of March 2016 threat to drive off a cliff? Well, that was the occasion when staff were basically reassured, and there were, were people in contact with the family. Um, one of the other things I highlighted was the fact that the health system was 
not aware that she was not attending school and the hospital system was not informed of the number of was not aware of the number of gp visits and the disability support system you have to ask it the question of whether people are actually claiming the disability support so although there was a big package in place mm. it wasn't being used that uh, section of the Crimes Act that she mentioned, Simon, uh, Section 195, does that very often come up in New Zealand? Is it often used? I don't think it is, really. Uh, and I think that on previous occasions, it, it was probably more likely to nail a venting. Um, I think that it just happened to be that things got worse and worse for her, and on the day she got this letter... Um, and probably the, the I'd like to drive off a cliff kind of remark was just a cry for help. And, uh, you know, she kept making efforts to, to get things better for Ruby. We're talking about the death of Ruby Knox, the murder of Ruby Knox by her mother and caregiver, Danella Knox. It was murder, wasn't it, in the end, Simon? Yes, it was. Uh, yeah. she, she pled guilty to murder. And was sentenced to four years in prison. Here's Justice Joe Williams again, courtesy of the Herald. In going through this exercise, I have become very sure of one thing. To sentence you to life imprisonment for Ruby's murder would clearly be inappropriate, or, in the words of the law, manifestly unjust. Was there any concern that by giving her a comparatively light sentence it might be sending a message to other people in, in similarly desperate situations, other caregivers, that it might be a price worth paying? No, no, I don't think so. I think there was so much material before the court about how much Danella loved Ruby, um, but also the huge difficulties that she faced and the effects on Danella of those difficulties, that it really was a perfect storm of so many factors that, that really made it inappropriate to, to sentence her to life imprisonment. I don't know if this is a tongue-in-cheek comment or not, but I have a note here that one of her friends said that two and a half years in prison probably seemed like a rest after being carer for 24-7 for over, over 20 years. Yes, and, and a number of uh, her friends and relations said that to me because this woman would work uh, and care for Ruby uh, on all sorts of levels, flushing her bowel, cleaning her up, doing all sorts of things that, that I don't need to tell you. But every waking moment of her day, uh, she was caring for this very large, very high need, very aggressive child. And yeah, I remember very clearly that Danella would tell me they'd watch TV together and, and Ruby would lean over towards her and Danella sometimes would get a lovely little kiss on the cheek and sometimes she'd get a big bite. So it's impossible f for those who haven't gone through that for 20 years to have any idea of how stressful uh, that would be. And so to answer your question, a bit of time to yourself where you're not running around looking after someone else would probably have been very good for her. Yeah. And we probably haven't talked enough about that, that there was a lot of love um, between Danella and Ruby. Oh, look, you know, Danella's phrase was she thought they were going to make old bones together. All they had was each other. There was no partner, no, no husband. And literally, Danella travelled the world trying to find 
things that would make Ruby better, that would make her life happier. And she, you know, would pester doctors on numerous occasions to try and get some kind of help to ease the pain that her daughter was in. And her daughter was in chronic pain. And her mother, as her mother, Danella knew. Interesting. Well, one of the conditions of Danella's early release that was that she wasn't to talk to any media. So no chance of a tell-all magazine or, or TV deal or, or, or book uh, where we get things from her perspective. Yes, and I think the parole board did that simply to facilitate Danella's rehabilitation and reintegration back into the community without you know, a whole lot of media camped outside her front door so that she could uh, stabilise and just walk away from the whole thing. Can you tell us a bit about what she, um, what she did while she was in prison? Uh, yes, she uh, had uh, one-on-one psychological treatment um, in prison because, of course, she had this very tough view where she felt like she was the only one who could, ha- could help Ruby and she kind of had counselling about that and to try and help her understand her views of things and, and how she could move on with her life. And so she did a lot of that when she was in prison. How does it rank among the other cases that you have represented in your life, Simon? Certainly one of the more memorable ones. Certainly one of the more memorable ones and one where I can look back and say I think justice was done in a very difficult, difficult case with a lot of competing considerations. It took a large amount of work from a lot of professionals, like a team of people looking after Danella to get the appropriate information before the sentencing judge so he could have a clear view uh, of both Danella and Ruby's life. Is this just a horrible situation that might not be avoidable? Well, I I think it comes back to the large raft of issues that Ruby faced. There weren't just one or two issues. There were dozens. And they all combined that we had this person, not only with an intellectual disability, but no speech and chronic pain, you know, it was it really was a perfect storm and it occurred in a small provincial town uh, with a solo parent with very limited financial means uh, and uh, limited uh, sort of social support. So so on every level it was a perfect storm that hopefully uh, won't be repeated. been listening to Crimes NZ with me, Jesse Mulligan. You can catch more of me Monday to Friday hosting RNZ's Afternoons show and you can find more episodes of Crimes NZ on the RNZ podcast page. It's also on Apple, Spotify, iHeart or wherever you catch your favourite podcasts. Don't forget to follow the series and if you enjoyed it, give it a rating so others can find it too. And if you like this one, you might also enjoy Black Sheep. It's a look at some of New Zealand's shady historical characters. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> 